You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. But you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Creek Podcast. I am your host, Kel Smith. Joining me this week is David Weiser from Film Assessment. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. And also joining us is Kyle Arking from Real Talk Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's also good to be back. Um, and Kyle, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about... Oh, hold on. Can I say the title? Because I just have a funny You know what? Go ahead. It. Yes, please. We're talking about Ant-Man and the Watts. Quantumania! Because <laughs> it's like a clown, because the name's so stupid. <laughs> I was just going to say Quantum of Solace, but, um... Oh, that works too. Or better yet, King the Conqueror, also starring Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we are talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I think this is like the third, third 3,000th Marvel movie in this year alone. And so uh, we are... <laughs> so... Don't oh, forget shit. the TV no, shows. That was including the TV show. <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, so yeah, no, this is Marvel's like first movie of the of 2023. They have two. They have two more now. I almost forgot. I almost thought there was a fourth one. Um, there's two more that's coming out, and then there's like five other TV shows that are coming out. But we don't know when they're coming out. We just know that they're coming. So this is the first one of the year, and um, you know what, Kyle, I'm gonna because I'm gonna go from you know, right, left to right on my end. Kyle, you go first and tell us, like, your general thoughts. Um, So I believe this is the first MCU movie that I've discussed with you guys on this podcast. Um, I'll just give background. The MCU is, like, one of my favorite universes, franchises, fandoms of them all, right up there with Star Wars and DC and... I grew up a Marvel fan, and I just love seeing all these characters and stories finally brought into fruition. Um, I love every MCU movie. Some of them I like more than others, but they all are, I think, fun films to watch. In the case of this film, I was really excited going to it because I think that, for me, I love the first Ant-Man. The first Ant-Man is one of my favorite MCU films. And the second Ant-Man, I actually did a rewatch the other day, and I actually liked it more on my rewatch than I did a number of years ago. And I just think what's fun about those movies, they're really funny. I love all the cast involved. I love that they get an actor like Michael Douglas, who you would never have imagined to start in a film called Ant-Man. And he's in these movies, and they get him to say the silliest things. And I just love it. And then when they announced this film, I thought it was really cool because you're talking about now introducing a character like Kang, who's going to be playing a huge part in the MCU going forward and having the one character that usually has been seen as like the, 
not the least powerful, but one of the lesser <laughs> Ant, like Marvel characters, and that's Ant-Man. And you have him pitted against this ultimate villain. And I thought that was a really unique idea. And I've loved the trailers going um, so far. I see the film. I like the film. I don't think it is... Um, one of the best Marvel movies. It's actually, I think, one of my least favorites of the bunch. But I did have a lot of fun with the Quantum Realm. A lot of the visuals I thought were really interesting. Because, like, you, we'll get into it. But there's a bunch of different alien, somewhat alien creatures in this movie. That I just have never seen that type of creature before. They do some fun things with the environment. I also love what they did with Janet, um, Michelle Pfeiffer's character. She was not given much of anything to do in The Last Ant-Man. And they actually gave her a role that I thought she did a pretty good job with. And then you get to Jonathan Majors as Kang, who I think steals the show. I think that he is by far the best part of the film. And I think a lot of the weaknesses of the film are because he's not on screen and you're not seeing him do the things that going into the film I expected him to do. Um, but overall, I had fun watching it. I don't know if I'll see it again, though, in theaters. I might just wait for it to drop on Disney+. Plus. But yeah, I, I, I had fun watching it. Okay, uh, so uh, my thoughts. Oh, wait, David, David, you're there. Okay, David, go ahead. <laughs> um, so just kind of a general overview. I'm just going to really condense it. I generally like most Marvel movies kind of up to Endgame. And in a lot of post-Endgame output has been kind of here or there for me. Like I've liked some things and other things have been just uh, sucky. Um, <laughs> like, I, I mean, um, I'm not, I'm not going to go into all of that, but I generally, I find the first two Ant-Man movies entertaining. Uh, I like the first one a lot, like similar to Kyle. And um, so I went into this, like hoping to at the bare minimum, just have, enjoy myself like that that was the bare minimum of what i wanted from this and the marketing didn't really get me like the marketing kind of was a mixed bag for me also because just because like purely from like a creative standpoint it looks like one of the like laziest marvel movies they've made yet and then like i felt like the most recent trailer kind of felt like it gave away the whole movie and then it kind of did like it, it basically they encapsulated the entire movie in that like two and a half minute or two minute trailer. Well, however long that most recent trailer was, um, they kind of encapsulated every major plot <laughs> plot beat into that trailer. And so uh, going into it, I had seen that the response critically was kind of mixed, uh, skewing negative with it being one of the lowest rated uh, Marvel movies on Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. So I didn't really go into it with, uh, I went into it kind of prepared for the worst, but also at the same time, just hoping I would enjoy myself. And I thought it was a huge mixed bag. This is like, to me, one of the ugliest Marvel movies oh, wow. I've ever seen. Um, it was, it was an eyesore. Like just, I think 
a lot of it had to do with how much of the how much of the movie was spent in the quantum realm and how terrible those visual effects were <laughs> in terms of just like <laughs> what you're looking at is just like and then the it didn't help that some of the action scenes weren't well this is kind of like a general thing that you find in quite a few marvel movies but they were they were edited really chop <laughs> the chop there was a lot of choppy editing and in some of those action sequences and kind of the camera work was kind of all over the place so it was like kind of almost headache inducing to watch this movie um once they got to the quantum realm and the action kicked in um i will like on a on a positive note I'll say that I liked um, Jonathan Majors as Kang. He's definitely carrying this movie on his back. Um, I, I generally like Scott Lang. Um, so Paul Rudd's, you know, he's he's always charming. And um, Michelle Pfeiffer was good, if not kind of obnoxious for how cagey her character was. But we'll get into that in the spoiler <laughs> spoiler discussion. But that's just kind of my overall thoughts of the movie. I was kind of let down. Um, probably never going to watch this again. Or if I do, it'll be a while. <laughs> I mean, so where do I even begin? Um, <clears throat> okay, no, no, no. So my general thoughts are, I was kind of actually looking forward to this movie because, you know, we barely get to see the quantum realm and it's another way we could do the whole multiverse thing. It's another way we could introduce other characters. So I was very much interested in, in doing in you know seeing quantum mania and on top of that it's written by one of like the rick and morty writers jeff loveness and who's written some of the like most iconic or not iconic but like some of the best episodes of rick and morty so i was kind of interested in what he brings to the mcu especially now that he's hired to write the fifth avengers movie so for me watching this movie it was like okay so there's a really good mystery there's a really good uh there's a really good intrigue you know they're setting up Kang pretty nicely even the scene even the scenes like with Michelle Pfeiffer uh I thought really were good like I felt like it added even more that she was still cagey because she doesn't want to talk about the relationship she built with this now monster so i completely and also you know the relationship she built you know with bill murray like she's so she's trying to protect her family from the life that she had in the quantum realm so i completely was feeling for her but the issue is then when kang does show up and then we get modok it kind of just like everything just deflates because Modok, I'll just go ahead and say, I don't even care if it's a spoiler. Modok is basically Humpty Dumpty and in a mech suit. <laughs> and, uh, and then Kang, you know, has this like, like gravitas, but, but given no weight to him. Like he's given all of this like buildup. And for whatever reason, Majors only has like one note to play with him. So, and and on top of that, like they botch his whole story of like, he wants to be a conqueror. He wants to be a conqueror. Well, we know he's Kane the Conqueror. That's the literal name. What, why does he want to conquer? He wants to conquer time. Why does he want to conquer time? We don't know. That's going to be set up in, in Avengers 5 or whatever. 
So this movie kind of feels like to give this movie credit, they did they did establish that at least. <laughs> like they they mentioned that he saw the end of time, and so he's trying to prevent. Well, what is the end of time? Is. And so his method, his methodology of doing that or whatever is destroying timelines. But still, it's just like why, like what what's go, what's going to happen? Like, and also you fought Avengers, like, so it's just like this whole. It leaves you with way more questions, and not even like good questions. But just like more like what it like it like I'm more confused than when Cassie was six years old, you know, in a guy in a bee in a bee co- in a yellow jacket costume shows up and starts blowing up her Thomas the Train set. Like I'm more confused than that. Like so, so for me, I so for me, Ant Man and the Wasp has a good setup. It has good you know build up. But the payoff kind of is botched, and it definitely feels like a lot of the characters they had arcs that they were talking about having, like Cassie's supposed to be like this freedom fighter or whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. even that kind of just gets forgotten until sort of, kind of, sort of at the end. Um, so there's just a lot of stuff in this movie that really doesn't work in in terms of story and character progression. And even as like a trilogy, if this was supposed to be like a trilogy ender uh, to the Ant-Man saga, it kind of is kind of a weak one because no one really changes. No one really has, they go to the quantum realm, they settle that and liberate it. But that's, we didn't know that was going to be a thing. In Ant- we didn't know, like the, we didn't know this was a problem until this movie. So like there's yeah. just things about this where it doesn't really work on its own. It doesn't even serve as a good threequel. It doesn't so in terms of its own franchise, it kind of is a whimper. And and I think there will be a fourth film. Oh, I Jesus think there will Christ. be one. It, I think that will be that will be like the the franchise ender for that. I think I think the Well, that's what they said about Thor. We'll get back to the yeah, well, I mean, with Thor, I mean, I don't know if they'll make another Thor, but when it comes to Ant-Man, I feel like the fourth film will get back to the roots of the, you know, what made the series as great as it was, which, and I think we'll get to it. I, For me, one of my criticisms is it lacked Michael Pena as Luis and his buddies, the ex-cons, because that that was such a fun part of the other Ant-Man movies and they're just not there. And they don't and, even have Cassie's mom in this yeah, movie. Yeah, Judy Greer. They don't, you're right. <laughs> or Bobby Cannavale. Like, the, almost half of the cast of the Ant-Man movies aren't in this film. And I guess it's it's because it's focused on, like, the Lang, you know, Pym family unit, but it still feels like the other couple of them are a part of it and it really kind of feels like it was some type of scheduling conflict or something that got in the way from them being in this movie this movie spent a half of a year filming Thor, Love and Thunder, i was surprised the scheduling right like what i mean they reshot scenes too like i don't know if you guys knew this but i think the original ending of the film was going to be them stuck in the quantum realm and a couple of months ago they decided to reshoot it and the ending we get is them 
rescued from the quantum realm, and then Scott having this epiphany, you know, whether or not this is real or if he won or on that note. And I think that was a bit of a mistake. I think they should have left the original ending because yeah, it doesn't feel know. like there are any consequences. Yes. Like it, it just feels like for this movie, that's trying to uh, present itself as this crucial part of this multiverse saga. And it's like this, like it's trying to have Avenger level stakes, but then nothing really they're not they don't lose anything and this this is kind of like a just this this journey just feels kind of inconsequential almost like other than the fact that maybe kind of sort of sets up the next two avengers movies but even that like it like leaves you on this note of like okay so why how does this why why is why does this matter taken down cause this yeah. It leaves, like, I think, the audience watching it very, I think, confused because, th- at least as I was watching this film, especially the way it ends with Scott questioning everything and then taking a bite of a piece of cake and then being like, ew, that's disgusting. And then the movie just ends. It leaves the audience wondering, wait, what just happened? Where, and it's not like a good what just happened. It's like a, wait, what? What the hell just happened here? And I think the one thing we can say about this ending is something is definitely not right. Because if you notice, at least when I was looking online, there are purple balloons and a green cake. People are wearing purple and green throughout the streets. So there is clearly something alluding to Kang that may have happened. Dang it. And then, of course, what happened here when Kang supposedly was killed or whatever, it has now set in motion the plans, I think, for the Council of Kangs who show up in the end credits scene. So it is, I think, leading into Avengers 5, but... It's. I think it's a very unclear way to end off a film, and I wasn't too. I was. I really wasn't that happy with the way they ended this film because I feel like if they ended it with a very clear and direct ending, like just them stuck in the quantum realm, what's going to happen now? I think that would have at least worked better because then the audience would be like, "Oh my goodness!" Because that's what happened with Infinity War. They ended it like that, and a lot of people were happy. But the one di- the one difference there is if they ended it like that, when would this issue be resolved in Avengers two More years from now. now? And I think maybe they said to themselves, you know, it's best we kind of resolve this storyline instead of us leave on a cliffhanger that might not be resolved for a long for a couple of years. So I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. I I I think the effort at making it forming a resolution like kind of is what makes it feel inconsequential because like they just go in this adventure in the quantum realm and which doesn't really mean anything to us because we don't care about this micro universe like there there's nothing at stake except kang getting out other than that like and then that that doesn't happen and so maybe this is going to cause a bunch of incursions or whatever um, and the other Kangs to do their stuff. 
but it's just i don't know it's too unclear of an ending like you were saying where it just kind of feels like i i think it would have if at least maybe if they got out and like maybe if it had been more clear of like oh hey you were in the quantum realm for this much of time like we talked about in Endgame, like this much time has passed in the real world and Kang's like conquered the entire earth. Like that could have been interesting or like, Hey, you came out in a whole nother universe. You're stuck here. That could have been more interesting. Like, I don't know. They just kind of went for like the, I like, like Kale said, it was just kind of this whimper, like a wet yeah, fart it's, <laughs> kind yeah, of type it's, of ending. Well, I mean, as David is saying, it's a safe choice. And I don't even know how you would make this better because the problem with this movie is it's not just the ending is inconsequential. It's that you have all these elements, like everyone's like saying just random stuff that's supposed to mean something like, you know, she like, you know, like Cassie is part of a peaceful protest that got, you know, you know, I guess allegorically bulldozed by cops. Um, and so you're now supposed to so now you're supposed to tie together you know this idea that cassie is now taking up her father's kind of robin hood like small stint as like a robin hood like i'm gonna release information from the first movie whatever that you're supposed to take from that that she's you know gonna do that but now she's gonna do that for you know the homeless population in san francisco because of what happened in Falcon Winter Soldier and um, Infinity Endgame, like the the blip or whatever of everybody coming back, so yeah. you're so so you're supposed to be like okay, you know that's something, but it's never really built upon. It's never really talked about more. It's not even really like even when Cassie and uh, Scott are like together for like a massive portion of the movie, they don't really talk about it. They don't really build. On, like Scott never tries to like explain like how that really you know him becoming a convict and him being you know and then twice because he had to be a convict for the Robin Hood thing and for the captain of the airport incident in Germany in Civil War so he, you never really so they never really get to talk about it you know at at, at all and then on top of that like Kang, you know, mentions, you know, all these different things of you should have looked away when I was conquering because now he's out of power, you know, and so there's just all this stuff about that really felt like it needed to be more shown than sp spoken. And because I can see like the ideas here of like, you know, Scott has to kind of, you know, he's been coming too comfortable and safe as the superhero now becoming an author, a podcaster, and, you know, like, you know, basically using the in-game in events to basically ride glory. And uh, so so you get this idea, so you get this idea that he's come become too comfortable, and now Cassie's trying to bring him in. It's, it's just like there's, a, what I'm trying to get at is there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving, you know, circles, you know, and then you have Modoc in here who just, I don't know why, other than for screenwriting bullshit 101, they just connected it to Darren Cross uh, for, I don't know, is, is Modoc Darren Cross in the comics? And Modoc is his own character in the comics. Though I will say I liked that kind of twist on it, 
because yeah. like Modok is just such a silly character to execute that if you're gonna do it, you may as well go all the way silly and like have it be. I liked the idea because like to me, one of the disappointing things about Ant Man and I guess generally that early run of Marvel movies was that they kept <laughs> killing all their villains. Yeah, and so when Darren Cross dies, he just gets. Then it's just like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of a a lame way to just kind of resolve that. And so I think it's kind of interesting to bring him back in the sense of like, oh, well, now because of that incident, his limbs are all shrunken and he's so deformed. And so that kind of gave birth to Modok. Modok was one of the things I actually didn't really take too much issue with this in this movie because I knew how ridiculous the character is in the mm-hmm. source material. And I felt like they did that justice. I don't really know how else you would execute that. Like, and I, I can't see taking that seriously. So I feel like I don't know that Modok needed to be a part of this. That's kind of like my argument. But for like, yeah. But for the of... purpose of putting him in here, I think they found a way to do it that was functional and kind of tied back to the first Ant Man. Yeah. What's funny about Darren Cross in the comics? He isn't even Yellow Jacket. In the comics, Hank Pym is Yellow Jacket. It's another persona he takes upon himself. And it's funny the way they played it up in the first film, because in the first film, Darren Cross is essentially the protege of Hank Pym. And he becomes this guy that kind of was like Icarus. He he was trying to reach too far to the sun and he wanted to be just like Hank Pym and it got to his head. He had these Pym particles that messed up his mind, which also happens to Hank in the comics and it made him go crazy. And he really, that's why he's really a bad guy in the, in the first film. And I think it was a really creative idea to make him Modoc because then what they were able to do is they were kind of like saying, here's like his ego. This is all of his like greed and jealousy of wanting to become this man now embodied into this um, monstrous looking entity. And then I did like how they redeemed him because they kind of said, you know what? Like he at, at one point may have been a good guy because like Hank Pym wouldn't have, I think, willingly worked with a horrible person in um, the first Ant-Man movie, this guy must have been good at one point of his in his life in order to get to the place he was at. And I like that they kind of like said, okay, well, this guy's going to try and do something good. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting because like a lot, I've seen a lot of criticisms with people being like, oh, they ruined the character of MODOK. Oh, they did this and that. But I, where were you guys when they had Darren Cross play Yellow Jacket in the first Ant-Man film. Like, it's, it's I think, an adaptation, and I, I did like the way they they did it, because then it, that way they also connected it to the idea of Hank, um, of Darren Cross getting sucked up into the quantum realm. And, like David was mentioning, it also lets that villain continue, because they did have this knack for killing off the villains and i do like that we got to see some form of that story connect and we got to see him have a scene with hank because i didn't even know if we'd get something like that and that was good to see because even like a criticism i have towards spider-man no way home is that we don't really get a scene between 
um, Peter and Green Goblin. I, I mean, Tobey Maguire and Willem Dafoe. Like, there's only one moment where he stabs him, and that's about it. Like, we don't get that moment where, like, these two see each other and, um, and speak with each other. So, I did like... I preferred Mod. I actually really. I thought and Modok was so stupid. Like me, was so stupid in this movie that I I couldn't help but love him because it was like, how how else can you make this guy? I I know in the Avengers video game that just recently came out, they actually gave him an interesting story where it was like he was a man that was a scientist that began to continuously become more and more deformed until he became Modoc, And you can go in that route, but I think once you introduce Modoc in an Ant-Man film, that is where you start to see him more silly and not as, you know, serious. Though, I do ask you guys, I feel, I think James Gunn would have done a great job with the Modoc. Oh yeah, the, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be a different type of character, but I would have liked to see how he handled him. Oh no doubt. I mean, no, no doubt at all. But yeah, and that's what I was just. I mean, that that's been my thing of Modoc is I don't really hate that they connected the two characters. It's just like I don't know if this movie needed it because it's already so crowded and it's so but it's somehow so crowded but it's so starving for character arcs yeah it's it's weird because you mentioned there's all these spinning plates going around but they don't do anything with almost any of them like you were talking about the thing with cassie being the freedom fighter like they have her give a speech um on On the the, intercom to um, broadcast on an intercom but it, like it doesn't make any sense because it's like none of these people have any connection with her so they're just like uh, they suddenly they're inspired by this girl they've never met or they interacted with for five minutes at the beginning of the movie and so it's just kind of stupid it feels like the other character that was there that was like oh well i can't do it you need to do it it should have been her that gave yeah. that message and speaking of that, man, that message is so emblematic of my issue with, like, the whole Cassie recasting situation. Because, mm-hmm. like, that message, she's delivering it in, like, the most monotonous way imaginable. Yeah. And it's, like, how almost all of her dialogue is delivered in the entire movie. And it drove me insane because Emma Furman, who played Cassie Lang in Avengers Endgame, she's only in the movie for, like, one or two scenes. But that that first scene where she appears is one of the best movie uh, scenes in that movie where she reconnects with scott and i i think it's just disappointing what like the shenanigans or whatever happened behind the scenes where that led to that decision of recasting her for the sake of having a bigger name but even for that bigger name not to really deliver a worthwhile performance makes it even more disappointing and crushing that you're like oh wow they screwed over this young girl because they wanted someone they more wanted... famous and then it didn't even pan out yeah they wanted <laughs> someone from uh, a netflix show to come on and basically and basically you know someone who's already been on a netflix show that connected with kids to basically be the uh, the teenager surrogate and and yeah she barely and but also she's like given next to nothing to do like no one yeah. in fact almost everyone has like next to nothing to do 
Like, Paul, maybe Paul Rudd has a lot to do just because he's trying to be the father, trying to, you know, balance, you know, I am a superhero that that definitely would wants to fight for the little guy, but also I'm a father and I'm trying to do what's right for my daughter. But other than that, like, everyone has, like, very little to do. Like, I mean, Michael Douglas, who was a co-lead in the first movie, his job is to basically sit around and have all these older men tell, like, crazy stories about all the things they did with Janet. You know, his wife. And... (laughs) I love love it, too, but it is, like, poor Michael Douglas. He's just here for the paycheck. No, I actually, Did you see I that interview with him where they were like, would you like to come back for an Ant-Man 4? And he said something like, I hope they kill me or something <laughs> like that. But you know, like, yeah, I do understand where he's coming from because where else do you put that character? That is something that I, I thought that they were going to kill him off in this film, um, mm-hmm. but they didn't. I will disagree, though, with the Michael Douglas stuff because I actually... I really liked him in the film. I've always liked um him He is in good in these movies, movies but he's but, given like the yes. he's No but This is Michael Douglas yes, we're like talking about and they're here, just having him deliver exposition. I jokes. like that he was actually given <laughs> the power with those ants to defeat Kang. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, how does Ant Man, you know, defeat Kang? And it wasn't just Scott that did it. And one of those reasons was you get to see Hank Pym and his power of those ants, the way that he has controlled those ants, go against Kang, um, which is something that we did not get in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Can we talk about that whole thing for a second? Yeah. I, I, I will say... It was so hilarious. I love the idea of the ants creating their own society. That was 10 out of 10. Amazing. I love that. But I thought it was so stupid how the movie treated them coming in to their rescue as this big, huge twist reveal. Oh, this whole time, Michael Douglas has been communicating with ants when we knew from the previous two movies that that hearing aid he has is that's the purpose of that device. So when we hear him getting these signals throughout the whole movie... We know that he's talking to ants, so why are they making it seem like it's some big twist reveal? That's what I, that thing that drove me crazy because that was so stupid. Because yeah. it's like we know that that's what that device does. Why are you treating us like we're idiots? I I didn't. I, I, it threw me honestly. Like, honestly, I forgot for about me, the ants. I rem- yeah, I, I remember when the ants were going through the the quantum realm, but. I like completely forgot about them, and then when he met the, the whole thing about them, you know, aging a thousand years. That stuff I thought was really cool because it was like, yeah. whoa! I, <laughs> those I liked ants, that it, aspect of it, but the yeah. idea that they're like they're trying to plug this mystery in your head, like, oh, who's that? What's that signal that he's getting in his hearing aid? What is that? Oh, it's the ants. <laughs> we know that that's what that does. So that why is this surprising? Like, I don't know. I just thought that was stupid. <laughs> um, I loved, uh, like, I thought it was stupid that it was framed as like this big reveal. The the reveal. I I understand framing the oh they made their own society. That 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 makes sense to me to frame as a reveal. 
but this reveal that oh that's where the signal was and then they go back and they show you the scenes of him like putting his hand to his ear where he's like <laughs> I got this signal and I just didn't know what it was and it's like how do you not know what it is you're the one that made the technology oh. <laughs> um. I'm now picturing like the ants talking to him and, and they're like why time. isn't he picking up <laughs> he knows it's us <laughs> is he cheating on us with his yellow jackets like <laughs> um, that's a year it is funny Funny, um, fun little Easter egg though. When they reveal that, like that one scene where Michelle Pfeiffer, Janet, saying to him how, um, you know, oh, like I, I had needs, you know, I want to, oh, I, I hooked up. I didn't expect that to happen that way. Like I thought it would be the traditional. Oh no, honey, it was all right. We didn't do anything. But they just, they just are so openly honest about it, and they're like. They're saying to themselves, "Oh yeah, I had a wife too. I, I no, I, I had a woman that I was involved with." The Easter egg, though, is that woman's name, Linda, is a comic book character named Linda Carter, but not Wonder Woman right. Linda Carter. <laughs> Just randomly, this character named Linda Carter. But that was funny because it's like uh, I thought that was hilarious. I, I've never seen. A situation like that where they they are openly expressing the people that they've been involved a, with yeah i thought i was i i mean i don't really care in about front like of their daughter sexual humor or whatever but it's like why do we have all this sexual humor in an ant-man movie where like they're preoccupied with trying to escape like this just feels like i don't know a lot of the humor in this movie was just kind of grating and or stupid to me it was either one of the two and then there were occasionally some things that landed but then one of the jokes I like kind of liked just didn't make any sense where they go into the probability storm thing and Scott's like multiplying all these Scots. And then all of a sudden there's one wearing a Baskin Robbins uniform. Like I know they're like trying to hit hard on this Baskin Robbins. I don't know how much Baskin Robbins paid for this, but like <laughs> they're trying so well, hard to hit on that. The and then there's suddenly one that shows up wearing a Baskin Robbins uniform. But it makes no sense because in the probability of him entering this thing, why is that suddenly a probability of something that would have happened? Because it's not, it's not based on past uh, probabilities. It's based I on the present is. probabilities and no, the future. I think it is because I think what it, it is based on the past. And I think they also cut out another probability where like hope was going to have a child. And it was like, this is like your family if you had like children or so. I don't know. Like there's where, but I think it is based on the past. Cause I think what they're saying is like, this is, this is Scott. If he didn't become Ant-Man and if he wasn't fired from Baskin Robbins. But the way that it, that the, the reason I would disagree with that is I think the way they present the logic of this is as you are in that probability storm, you're splitting into all the different decisions and choices that you can make to go to mm-hmm. try to uh, retrieve this object. So why is all of a sudden there's a Baskin Rock? Like I get the joke and I think it's funny, but like it doesn't make sense in the context of the situation. Right. The mm-hmm. 
it's just kind of like nonsense for the sake of a joke. It is, like, you know. <laughs> and then on top, the other joke I do really do like though is whenever Modok introduces himself to like Scott or <clears throat> or Cassie or Hank, they just all go, "Holy shit! What the fuck happened to you?" <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> like especially Hank, he's like Jesus Christ, Darren. What the hell? <laughs> and and Darren just has to stop, like, because he's always in the middle of like a you know a self satisfying monologue when he introduces himself, and then rudely rudely interrupted because <laughs> everyone's so in shock that he just is ahead in only little arms and little legs now. <laughs> um. I found it funny that they use the television trope or whatever they, they call it when they just show you these random flashbacks to remind yeah. you who this was. Because they it was like, I don't know if they did it because they thought the audience just wouldn't remember who Darren well, Cross was. Years ago. You're not going to remember this uh, vanilla villain from seven <laughs> yeah. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> remember yeah well yeah that's the problem with this movie the thing that you know they're mentioning that scott lang did you know to end up in prison in the first movie uh that happened eight years ago in this universe so or in in our time so all the stuff that like is being mentioned they didn't do like it it, like how is an audience gonna you know regularly remember that especially when ant-man is kind of also kind of like a nothing movie you know, the first Ant-Man, it's all just kind of a mediocre film. So, like, I don't know, like, so I do appreciate the television flashbacks for Darren Cross, but also, like, that's... I mean, I think that at least made more sense than the television flashbacks for Hank Pym reaching his hearing aid. <laughs> that's where it's like, it's like, yeah, we you just and, saw that. We saw that, hearing. like, 30 minutes ago. That's not like something we forgot already. Look, we could have went to the bathroom. We could have decided to walk out of the movie and then come back in. <laughs> we could have just, you know, you never know with these things. You know, yeah. And then, but it's funny because, like, when you look at other MCU movies, they don't do that when they introduce characters from other films. Like, uh, in the end, Endgame's one of the funniest ones to me because. In Endgame, you have the funeral for Tony Stark, and they show all the people, like all the guests at this funeral, and it's this emotional moment of the film, and you're seeing every actor and every character that you've seen before. And then they pass Ty Simpkins, who played Harley in Iron Man 3. And I think the collective audience is like, who is that? (laughs) Who is this random kid? I recognize him. Even if, like, like, I knew it was him. I think a number of people knew it was him. But, e- like, even if you were a fan of these films, he is older. So he does look different. And it would be funny because they don't they don't explain who he is. They just go past him. And I bet, like, a number of people were like, who is that? So I guess I can't understand why they would do that with Darren, especially given that the last Ant-Man was eight years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, but it's, it's, I, I laughed when they did that cause it was, cause you know, the funny thing is too, and I wish that they had Luis there cause he always has those yeah. just, like yeah. conversations. They could have done that with Darren. That energy that was been... missing from this movie. Yeah. Like that energy yes. was desperately needed to keep it, um, 
more lighthearted and entertaining. Like, and it's weird that it tries so hard to feel like an Avengers level threat, but it's so ridiculous at yeah. the same time that it's you don't you don't really fully buy into the the weight of everything. Like it feels kind of still feels weightless and inconsequential like the previous Ant-Man movies did in mm. that sense. I don't know, it's just really weird bizarre choices all the it way is. around. <laughs> like and that's why I'm kind of like nervous for the future of the of the MCU because it's like they're about to do more sequels, you know, cuz we're going to get another Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. Um and then we're going to do Thunderbolt Ross, which is kind of sort of Black Widow 2. Um and like so like like and they're taking so long to make oh and the Marvels Cause, and they're taking so long to get to these movies. I mean, by the time the Marvels comes out, it will have been almost five years since the first movie had come out. So, like, so, like, if there's, like, a random character from Captain Marvel, are they going to also do television flashbacks or, <laughs> to establish a character <laughs> from the Marvels or WandaVision or uh, Captain Marvel? I do find it interesting how they will market the Marvels because it is Captain Marvel 2 and I I think they were originally going to call it Captain Marvel 2 but then they changed the title to the Marvels. So it really became is, a sequel to three different properties. It's yeah. <laughs> it's su- it's such a strange, you know, decision. I'm I'm personally still highly optimistic cuz I mean we do have Fantastic 4 coming. Um we have at least Guardians coming. Um, oh, and we're gonna have to have to, we're gonna have to do tele- television flashbacks for every character because that movie because the last movie came out yeah. six years ago. Good grief! Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like I mean, personally, I don't know about you guys, but I personally still feel like you can watch these shows or you can watch these movies without watching the other shows or content because, like, at the end of the day. They are their own, like, singular standalone story. Um, of course, you have to watch the sequels. Like, it's traditional anytime, like, a sequel's good. But, like, I don't really see as much... I think the the one show that this does really connect to is Loki. But it does so on a very in a very subtle way where I think, like, if you really want to know more about how the universe is operating, watch Loki. But even like me who watched Loki, I'm still like, I'm like, I remember watching Quantumania and I'm like, wait, did I even have to watch Loki before I saw this? So I I don't know. Like, well, I think it'll tie it up in the future. But right now, especially with how many like people are like, I don't know, like if you would say Quantumania is a divisive film, but there are a number of people that do not like this movie. And that's a little bit, that's very different from where the MCU was at back in like 2019 when they were pumping out, you know, Endgame or 2018 when they were making Black Panther. I feel like a big part of like the post Endgame syndrome problem, like the whole like impetus of it is the fact that after Endgame, they just like had a shotgun shell. With every single character, yeah. Oh, you get a movie. You get a, get show, a movie. You get a movie. You get you a show. Get a and movie. so they're following. Everyone gets a movie. 
they're following like 20 different characters across each of them now having their own proper their own franchise and they're also trying to introduce new characters in their own shows and their own movies and it's just becoming overwhelming like and so like it's kind of adding to this we're gonna need more tv flashbacks joke we were talking about earlier like because they're they're just kind of they're expanding too quickly with too it yeah they're just expanding with the universe way too quickly and I think in a way be- that's just it's daunting before it used to be kevin feige was like overseeing all these projects and he had hands-on influence on what they were doing now we're starting to see with the amount of content they definitely now have more than just kevin feige and not to say the people working on the movies now aren't good but like you're talking about i think a clear difference in how focused the projects were beforehand. That's the one thing I'm optimistic about though, when it comes to the announcement they said where Disney's going to pump out less, like especially the TV shows because the TV shows, they were doing like three to four a year. And that's a lot, especially given the amount of, because like the TV shows themselves are like mini movies, like both of those ones they release and they're not like regular TV shows back in the day. And, because of that, I think that it is smart for them to just focus on like maybe two TV shows a year, maybe three movies a year, two movies a year, and then you can focus on that. Because if this year looks like any indication, I'm really excited for both Secret Invasion and Loki Season 2. And I think that if they just focus on those, they might be both really good. But last year, I wasn't really that fond of She-Hulk and you had She-Hulk, Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, you had the holiday special for Guardians of the Galaxy, you had Werewolf by Night, you had a number of shows that were put out. Some of them put out right right after the other, like Miss Marvel and Moon Knight. And it's like you, I think, have to get to a point where you're putting out um, quality over quantity absolutely and that's kind of been the chapek way it's to because chapek's whole strategy in terms of either the theme parks the movies the shows is to take the brands and they own or the characters legacy characters they own and just exploit it to it's you know to death Exploited to where yeah. I mean, it, it gets to a point where I mean, the Incredible Coaster is just an it's just your basic roller coaster, right? Um, so mm-hmm. so when you just have only a roller coaster, that's just the Incredible Coaster, and it's only that. It, there's no like the theming. There's no, you know, like a special you know queue line. I'm, I'm using sorry, I'm using a theme park here, a, a theme park attraction as an example. But when you're just well, that works for the MCU. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, right, David. <laughs> okay, David. Anyway, calm down. <clears throat> but but when you just put, you know, do like a bullshit movie and you call it Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania or uh, Thor Love and Thunder. Quantum Or Thor Love and Thunder, you know, <laughs> then people start to go. The problem, if you, the problem with over-exploitation is people just go... This is there's no 
there's no quality control. And then if there's no quality control, the people will start to realize this product isn't as good as it used to be. This, um, mm-hmm. I mean, this McDonald's burger that I used to love is not as good as it used to be 30 years ago. So, so, you know, I'm going to go to the DCU or, or if we're going to the fast food, I'm going to go to the Burger King. So, well, even even last year, we saw that kind of Marvel slipping up allowed for Top Gun and Avatar The Way of Water to just like dominate yes. last. I mean, Avatar still dominating, but like kind of just that mindset that those two were the blockbuster kings of 2022 and Marvel kind of just fell. Uh, I mean, it's still, I guess, their their movies, they, they made money. But well, and, and they, <laughs> they own Avatar. They weren't as dominant as they, they weren't. Yeah, but like the MCU in general wasn't as dominant as it normally yeah. has been. Yeah, and you could say past. the same thing for Lightyear. You could say the same thing for Star Wars. Like, their biggest brands, Pixar, Lucasfilm, and Marvel, were not the the talk of the town last year. The talk of the town was the Batman, the, the you know, Top Gun, everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, what else? avatar you know they there was there was other there was other good movies other good products that came out that real scream wait what scream the the 1996 movie scream five no that that wasn't a talked about that came out last year but that wasn't out last year no it was a huge box office no success. it wasn't it, it was only a hit because it was the only movie that came out when it, it was the only movie that tried to you know fight with new way no way home what are you talking about <laughs> there, did it i thought i thought it did considerably well wasn't it on like a lot wait a minute too? there's a sixth movie now the fuck anyway um <laughs> we gotta look at we gotta look at anyway this after. yeah um <laughs> anyway so but yeah no what david was saying or what we're all saying here is like Mar- none of the biggest brands were the talk of the town they were not you know the mm-hmm. hits yeah that people were they were not the thing that people were you know flocking to yeah you can say each movie was a hit i mean doctor strange uh almost made a billion dollars and for the most part was very well liked and then black panther wakanda forever had the conversation for a little bit because of the chat with bozeman thing and also like because the movie is so uh a great it's so okay or it's it was better than what everyone expected it got a lot of acclaim for it and now i mean angela bassett is going to be is an oscar nominated actress so well she was but she's now nominated for a marvel movie so I mean, it they sort of have it a little bit, but I mean, just not as much as they use usually are, and now they're trying to have it back a little bit by having Ant Man basically just come out up front in the beginning of the year, and the conversation is, no, this movie is not good. <laughs> so so now <laughs> they're like fucked because Secret Invasion. We don't know when that's coming out because they were probably thinking, oh, we can wait a little bit more longer on Secret Invasion, give them a little bit more time. But now it's like, fuck, we need to shit. We need to release it. 
Um, how, f- and then Guardians of the Galaxy is still ten weeks away. <laughs> so, it, so now Marvel's in this position, and Disney's in this position because they don't have a movie for literally or a pro- product in between this and Guardians of the Galaxy. They're now in a position where they're just for their first quarter, they're basically naked with one movie that's not doing good at all. Well, it's doing okay. Box office. Well, I mean, sorry. It, it it did make 104 million opening weekend. I think, what was it? 110 or something? Um, four days. And that's fair. I just mean like reception wise. Reception wise. And I mean, it does have an 80, what? 4%. Kyle, those never mean anything. But <laughs> but I will say on Cinema Score it has a B, which is the lowest MCU Cinema Score um, next to Eternals. So that is definitely something that is worrying. I just think personally, I think that all it takes is one great, good or really great movie, and then the MCU will you know be back on its feet. Especially when it comes to Guardians, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three will be really good especially with James Gunn. And I think we'll see that happen. The big question right now is the Marvels because we don't know like really how that movie is going to be. Nia DaCosta, I thought she did a great job with Candyman, but to my shock and awe, there were a number of people that didn't care for her version of Candyman. So I don't know how that's going to go. I'm very excited to see Amon Vellani in it because I love to miss Marvel. Um, Tiona Paris back. It's I a mean, great cast. I don't know. That, that one. Yeah. But yeah, that movie. And also what's even weirder is, and I kind of already mentioned it in the group chat, but I mean, they shot that movie two years ago. Well, by the time the movie comes out, it'll have been two yeah. years ago. So like, and I get it. They had to postpone the Mar- They had to postpone everything you know, from they had to postpone everything because of the whole Black Panther production with Latita getting injured and all. So I understand that, mm-hmm. but the Marvel, but Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy have been kind of staying at their release dates. Cause this is, this has been like the, their release date. Well, they haven't. I mean, well, if you, cause they did swap Ant-Man, the Marvels with- at one point, but then, like, Marvel, it was, like, yeah. two months later where they were like, nope, never mind. So, I am very curious. I do think it's a good idea. I do understand it's a good idea to give them as much time as possible. Because, you know, of course, Marvel's been tro- having troubles with the VFX companies. Um, so, I'm, so you know, and honestly, I thought this movie did l- did better with a longer post-production schedule than normal because the visuals they do look a lot better than thor love and thunder and to a certain extent they look i would even argue they look a lot better than wakanda forever in terms of lighting and whatnot i i I would disagree (laughs) i mean i i I disagree with i i disagree with um the wakanda forever Love and Thunder, I do think it looks better than that. However, that is being said because, I mean, with Love and Thunder, a number That's of those VFX... That's a bare minimum. <laughs> Love and Thunder's <laughs> like, VFX, though, were done in, like, 
the volume right. and environments so too, where like you're looking at like the, the the one that everybody is memeing is you know that one with that son of Heimdall and he's, he's in, in like the, a ghost bo- ghost bumps uh, visual effects goosebumps level goosebumps uh, goosebumps oh my god and then there was there's also that one where I think Thor like lands or he he takes up like there are yeah. a number of VFX in in um, yeah. that movie but I mean I will also sorry go ahead no 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 I I, I, I but like Wakanda Forever though I, I thought the, the VFX in that film were actually really good I think um, they're good really but good, I think so. in terms of like even better than the first in film, terms actually. of like because I do think the problem still is Telecon doesn't get enough like I, I feel like Telecon doesn't have a, enough like visual detail to it and and it doesn't help that it's also shot in the dark. Um, not everything can be Aquaman, Kale. Not everything. Not everything can be, can be Avatar: The Way of Water, Kyle. But yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we can't. I guess we can't expect excellence with everything. So I know, Which is right? Sad. Um, so, but I mean, so anyway, for the Marvels, I I do hope for the best. I'm not, but what I will say about Marvel going forward is this movie kind of broke me in that I wish, oh my God. I wish I had just waited for this to be on Disney plus. Um, just because I don't, cause I was just like, there's nothing immediate. There's nothing immediately like there's nothing like immediately that's going to like satisfy any of the questions or solutions. So I wish I would have yeah. just waited and even thinking about it like loki season two is probably not going to come out till later in the summer uh so by the time that show comes out you know the ant-man will be on will have been on um disney plus since may or may or june so i don't know though are they going to stick to the same release schedule because with Iger in charge aren't they i think they did um cut for for wakanda forever they waited longer than that 45 day window that they had been implementing which hopefully will be a good thing that they do going forward i mean that's i i prefer the 45 day window to the day and date hbo max strategy but uh i still think that's still too short of a window that you're oh, yeah. cutting your box office legs just I, <laughs> right at I the think kneecap. For sure they should release it on physical media before Disney Plus because I Yeah, mean, they're cutting out their own physical media exactly. like uh, it's but it's because their studios are stopping aren't caring as much about that. They're so focused on streaming. But that's like this whole other discussion. Uh we don't want to Yeah, we I think we've had it a couple that, times. But, Okay, so Ant-Man. What else is there to say about Ant-Man? Well, Kel, you talked about... Scott Lang should have died. Like, in the end, like, when he's fighting Kang, like, I felt like they set up this idea that, oh, he's in peril, he's in peril, and then he's, like, he has these, um, I don't know, the little shrinky things, the discs, and then he just... And then Kang is just, like, this question mark. And then it, I think if either Scott had died or they were trapped in the quantum realm or they ended up on other Earth or maybe Kong, Kang conquered their Earth when they got out or whatever, like it would have at least given some sense of consequence. I do agree. 
I don't know about Scott dying, but I do agree that the, this movie needed to end with some kind of consequences. Like either like a civil war type consequences where the where everyone's broken up and we don't know where anyone's at um, or or whatever. You know, I would have liked to have seen that just only because like we are going to get more of these movies and you have and Jeff Loveness is writing the next Avengers movie so he can answer these questions <laughs> in the next movie. Uh, so I, I don't know. Like I, it just needed some, it needed something to really kind of land it on, you know, and if Scott dying would have been it, I mean it, it, or even like Janet dying, like she, it didn't even, yeah, Janet or Hank or, it or could have been anybody, just anybody that you could have killed Cassie. That would have been interesting, but they, they have no balls. And so they're not going to do anything narratively interesting or challenging to the audience. That's the one thing that, what, what I've been debating about, because honestly, like <laughs> my, it's hard to say like what my least favorite MCU is, what it might be Thor Love and Thunder and it was like I was looking, I was comparing the two, Love and Thunder and Quantumania, and at least in Love and Thunder, they did have the balls to kill Janet. I mean, not Janet, Jane. Like she does die in that movie. Now, of course, maybe she might come back again, but like that was because the way they set it up, it looked like oh, maybe she'll be the next Thor going forward. But she isn't. And that threw us for a loop, I think. And I do appreciate that they did that. Now, looking back, then, you know, when you look at here where, you know, as you guys mentioned, like, no consequence. Most likely all these characters are pretty much in the same place they were when the film started. And I did see one theory, though, that this is all a time loop. And... It's almost like the, I don't know how they were explaining it, but like all of this will end because like eventually it will all come back to where it went to at Loki, where Kang is at that point in Loki. Because there's something about circles and how time is just this circle and Kang's always looking at circles and everything will come back and it'll come back around. So I don't know where it's going. That's an interesting Um, theory only because... See that that's interesting theory, but I feel like it's giving them way too much credit because they are not going to do yeah. anything nearly that interesting. I feel like Marvel fans oftentimes come up with these uh, very intricate theories uh-huh. to try to like reckon with how mediocre what they're watching is. <laughs> they're trying to give like force a lot of depth on. I had a but... fun thing where you know the the um, hit classic X Men Dark Phoenix that came out a number of years ago that film starred jessica chastain and i like i was pretending to my friends i said you know guys if you watch this film and jessica chastain's character isn't even real like she's a figment of sophie turner's imagination it works much better (laughs) than it does (laughs) if she's just this real alien you know supporting villain but I mean, yeah, like, I will say, though, that when it comes to 
this, I think there are some connections. Like, I think that, I don't know, if, I don't think it's a coincidence that in Shang-Chi, you have these rings that are, like, circular. Oh, yeah. And you have Eternals circular-type structures, and now you have Ant-Man, and Kang has these circular oh, objects. There's I saw a YouTube short. There. I forgot to share it, but there's a YouTube short where they basically tie the ending of the post credit scene of Shang-Chi uh, with... Yeah. Because they like show like the rings like the symbols that are on the rings themselves are very similar yeah. similar to the rings that are on uh kang's ship in this movie so yeah basically hinting like through the production through like the production design if you will like there's a link between the the rings that uh shang father had the mandarin and kang's you know ship design and how it's all connected meta metaversely is that i guess i guess it's a word multiverse multiverse multiversally well like so like i think while they kind of are laying these visual connections in this groundwork it's almost too implicit to like this degree that the audience doesn't make the connection i mean they're they're the hardcore fans that are theorizing about all this but i'm saying like general audience members aren't making like it's not as overt as the i guess infinity saga where all those movies you you understood pretty early on that all of these infinity stones all tie together and it's going to all lead thanos and blah 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 um whereas here like we understand <laughs> kang is going to be the big bad but like beyond that it's so murky and unclear how anything relates to each other at the moment. And I feel like maybe that's something like one of kind of the issues that's going on right now is that like, we're watching all of these disconnected stories kind of, well, like not that everything has to relate to each other on, but like with the way that the Marvel cinematic universe has kind of thrived thus far, I guess, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Like, and what they're so well known for is something that they're not as doing as well in this, like, phase four and five and blah, blah, blah. But, like, David, do you think the general audience really cares about the connections? Because at the end of the day, if you look at the Infinity Saga, when people went to see Thor The Dark World, just like general moviegoers, I don't think they really cared much about the Infinity Gauntlet or things like that, where they were just going to see a Thor film with a MacGuffin. And well, I, I, I'm not, I don't know that Thor The Dark World is like a good example to point towards, because at that point, we still didn't know Infinity War. Well, like, we had an idea of, yeah. kind of like, because Guardians of the Galaxy was really the movie that kind of retconned a lot of those items into Infinity yeah. Stones. Mm-hmm. And kind of, mm-hmm. well, like, and then the Thor The Dark World's post credit scene. But, like, there wasn't really a clear roadmap to the end at that point in time either. And the way, like, I I don't know. It's just, uh, I'm saying, like, I don't feel like... So, like, we just finished a saga where we had a roadmap going towards Thanos. And we have this roadmap going towards Kang, but it feels kind of all over the place. I guess is the way that... Like, it doesn't feel like there's a clear narrative arc between all of these projects. I guess that's kind of the way to to iterate it and like mm-hmm. whereas in the infinity saga like we had tony and steve rogers is kind of our primary 
protagonists yeah. of those movies, we don't really have a primary protagonist of this post endgame. Like, because there are so many different characters in their own little corners that are like vaguely related to each other, whatnot. Like, I mean, they, they, some of them have interacted before in previous movies or whatever, but like, we don't really have a clear protagonist for this multiverse. Right. Song, right? I mean, you could, right. I mean, there is an argument to be made that, uh, Shang-Chi and maybe Dr. Strange could possibly take the mantle, maybe even Spider-Man. But the problem is each of those movies kind of reset the, they kind of reset each other to go back to like where, you know, where mm-hmm. we f- first found them. Like they're individual adventures, except for maybe Shang-Chi. Their individual adventures are just individual adventures, which is nice and all. But if we are doing the Infinity Saga again, but with the multiverse, who is, you're right, who is our protagonist? Like who? Because, and I guess maybe they're going to try and just do it as an ensemble. Because now that Ant-Man has survived, Ant-Man and, now that they, the, the Langs and the Pims have survived, they can talk to, you know, Banner, and they can talk to, you know, Captain Marvel to be like, okay, well, this is a character that we just ran into. Keep an eye on, out for him. And... So yeah, it is kind of strange. And even if like it was supposed to be Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel that was going to take place of the Tony Stark and um, Captain America characters, you know, it's strange that they have placed you know, Doctor Strange got his sequel already, and then meanwhile Captain Marvel is still waiting for her sequel to you know come into play. So it's just a very we're in a weird jumble. It's- it's weird because I think what we're used to is we're used to like an Avengers movie connecting all these pieces. So when you look at phase one, it ends with an Avengers film. Phase two pretty much ends with an Avengers film. Phase three. And like what happens is you get these movies like an Iron Man 1, you get an Iron Man 2, or you get a, a Captain America 2, Captain America, um, Thor 2, and then they connect. But here, we're not really getting a sequel like there hasn't been a character with two films in the MCU phase four or five. I mean, of course you've had, technically you've had Wanda Scarlet, Witch in a TV series and in a movie, but she's now dead. And that's, that's the way it works, but you don't have two Dr. Strange movies in phase four and phase five or two Shang-Chi movies and you don't have that Avengers film at the end of like phase four to tie them up. And that is, I think the difference though. I don't know, because I still think that, you know, once we get to Kang dynasty, I think that's when all the pieces will come together. It's just that, I mean, I, I was a little bit disappointed watching this film that we didn't get more answers to where it was going. Cause it's mainly, I think setting up the idea of the villain or villains of Kang dynasty, but we don't know about the rings yet. We don't know about how do the Eternals fit into it? How does, um, I think right now there are just way too many loose threads, like kind of on that point that I was talking about earlier where they kind of exploded and they're each character is having their own story. And there's like 20 different 
narrative yeah. arcs going on right now. There's like a loose thread from like each of those and they can't like, it's just yeah. like, it's, it's expanding way too rapidly where they can't really connect them in a satisfying way within like a reasonable amount of time because they're pumping so much out and each of those things are seemingly unrelated at the moment. So I think it's just, it, I don't know. It's just kind of like a yeah. mess right now and we'll see where it goes, but right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So is there anything to talk about else with Ant-Man? Um, Bill Murray's good in the five minutes he's in. I'll throw that in there. Yeah. I liked him. <laughs> he shows up. Got it. He earned his paycheck, and then he was well. He out. actually did say he wanted to work with Peyton Reed because uh, he liked um, what's that basketball cheerleading movie he did? Um, yeah, he liked uh, Bring, bring it, it On. Uh, so yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so he. I enjoyed him in the movie too. Like I, thought I enjoyed him, but I thought it was weird that they cast so high profile of an actor to come in for that brief of a cameo. That was like he was like they put him all over the marketing, and so I thought it was really weird that they made it seem like he was going to have like a relatively substantial role, and then he just is there well, for a few minutes. It's, <laughs> it's funny, kind of bizarre. David. It's funny you mentioned the marketing because. As we know, like there were there were a number of controversies that occurred with Bill Murray in the last number of months, and I think that they really kind of pulled him off of the marketing in the last couple of months because if you remember, like the first like the first trailer, he's in it for like one second, one shot. He's not in the second trailer at all. That's right. I remember. I've seen that trailer a number of times. Okay. And he didn't do any press, I think, for this film. Like, I didn't see him on the red carpet. I didn't see him doing interviews. And they did, like, one poster for his character. But one could say it's because he had such a small role. But he is uh, Bill Murray, an actor that would dry, draw attention to this project. So that was that was something interesting, what they did. Because I remember going into it, we didn't know how much marketing would be focused on him. But, I mean, I was glad he was there. Like, I mean, I thought he was just, I thought he brought some, you know. He brought energy to this. Like, I mean, he's the one that, I mean, again, going back to the joke, you know, I mean, there's a whole bit where, you know, he's talking to, I think it was Hope, and and he was like, you and your mother and I did some wild stuff. And then then Hank (laughs) is like, what kind of wild stuff? (laughs) really wild stuff um like like i do love the bit and i do love like he is the one that pronounce like he pronounces what modok stands for i do love that even his little like subtleties in his performance like in what little character he has he makes the most of it i mean he basically is a character that's set up as like this like hippie rebellion that now is a lord um and and then he's you know given uh and then like you just see like through the conversations like no like this guy went to the dark side like he went he was convinced by uh kang which gives even more you know which gives even more great build up to kang like all of bill murray's stuff like really does work a lot um it even if it's weird that just the scene prior we everyone's like 
Janet is, or yeah, Hope and uh, Hank, they're listening to everyone not speak any English and then they drink a goo and then they're like, their brains go, oh, now everyone just speaks perfect English. Yeah, okay, so what did you guys think of the Freedom Fighters? Because like that was, that was, at first I didn't know how to feel about them because I was like, oh wow, these look like just your usual MCU characters that you know, we'll just be in this movie and we'll never be mentioned again. Yet I kind of dug them because, like, when he was like that one character that David Dasmalshian plays, the ben, blob, he's like the the gooey liquid guy, what obsessed yeah. with guy, holes. Obsessed with holes. I got a kick out of that. That one scene he I thought so was a good holes. payoff because that moment where they just start shooting, like. I laugh so hard when they're just shooting at this guy. It's like, ah! And he's like, I have holes! And then he just... He like, sucks them up, even them. though... <laughs> Again, yeah. anything goes. He just sucks them up. Um, and then there this... was a cat, Kaz, played by William Jackson Harper, mind reader. Um, I, I thought he was funny, especially when he was like, you have seven holes. Wait. And Paul Rudd sure. just pauses. so i i thought the freedom fighters and just in general like all the like residents of the quantum realm or whatever like it kind of reminded me of it felt like diet sci-fi it felt like diet star wars like aliens and it it reminded me a lot of like that valerian and city of a thousand planets or whatever yes that movie from a while ago yeah and i hated that movie so it's like this reminded me of shitty sci-fi and all of this just feels like knockoff sci-fi tropes and stuff and i i don't know i just thought it was stupid and i was like it just felt like all of these characters you're just like further complicating the story by adding all this in and like we were talking about all these spinning plates they didn't do anything with it's like i think you're just kind of hampering the narrative potential that you have by like kind of overstuffing this with random characters just to get some laughs you guys remember, they remind me a bit of the characters in Captain Marvel, the ones that are at the very beginning, they're part of this team, and they're, of course, like, later on, they're the ones that she fights, Jaimon Hansu, like, I bet none of you could tell me a single one of those characters' names, because they are, right. you know, like, they are so forgettable, Gemma Chan plays one, um... Even I, even I am struggling to remember their name. It's funny though because like her character must have been so forgettable that they were like, okay, we can reuse her for Eternals, exactly. and nobody's gonna know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Any, go ahead. But no, I, I liked um, I liked the buildings. I thought that was creative, where like the buildings themselves, and the, he says, "Wait, those buildings are alive," and then he's like yours are dead <laughs> i do love yeah and i do love the whole drinking the gook and i do get it you know david it is very much diet sign it's not just diet star wars it's diet rick and morty because rick and morty has stuff like that all the time yeah where mm-hmm. like there's a character who is just there to like you know like just to you know they're they're a, a, a creature that's just there just to you know make sure the characters can understand everyone or whatever there's all those kind of characters in rick and morty so i get 
the references and that's why i keep saying like this feels very much like a rick and morty premise um yeah because like mm-hmm. they're scientists they go they accidentally get stumbled into some universe and they have to figure out how to survive and rebuild the there's literally a Rick and Morty episode with the similar concept of their like micro universes. Yeah. They have the council Absolutely. of Ricks. I mean, that's probably why they got this guy. They probably said, you know what, this is where we're headed. You know what? He's written so many episodes of Jimmy Kimmel. We've gotta hire him. <laughs> and, oh my god. And even <laughs> you guys He's never the written Jimmy a movie Kimmel before. Doctor Strange episode? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> He's never written a movie before, but he's written for That's Jimmy good Kimmel, enough. So let's get him on let's get him on board to write our Ant Man movie and our next Avengers movie. Yeah, and then we'll get Michael Waldron who wrote Doctor Strange. Uh we'll get him to do Avenger Six. Uh yeah, no, I'm yeah, Kevin Feige is just a Rick and Morty fan. Let's just be honest with ourselves here. I mean, even for She-Hulk, Jessica Gal wrote the P- Pickle Rick episode. Yep. Uh, so this is making me want to watch. Rick you've and never Morty seen now. it? Like, I've only seen the first episode. I, I've seen uh, most of it, and I kind of find a large chunk of it to be kind of insufferable. <laughs> That was me. I mean, like, I-, I was, like, on borderline. Does it get better from episode one, or is it more of the same? So, I just didn't continue it, but maybe I will, because I'm enjoying these. So, like, I mean, if if it, and if Kale, you say it is better. Oh, yeah, Rick and this, Morty like, is, like, one of the best, like, sci-fi shows, I think, in, because... In the span of 22 minutes, they do have, I mean, every episode is kind of like anything goes. Like, a character will get, you know, their mm-hmm. head cut off, and then, like, five minutes later, the head will grow back, and they'll be fine. Like, nothing happened. Like, there's stuff like that that happens in Rick and Morty, and, but it's all, the the way I look at Rick and Morty is, like, yes, it is about a boomer who is c- crazy and putting this teenager through extremely dangerous circumstances, but the the reason why it's so funny and the reason why it works so well is because we're all in suspense of how this 14-year-old boy is somehow going to unite society the societies that he's, you know, in that he's, you know, he's stumbled upon to save his grandfather or his family from his grandfather's, you know, evil doing or or just like insufferable boomer ways. So that's like why Rick and Morty is like like a cultural touchstone because we like that's just why it kind of works but it is funny like there is absolute creativity they used to do this great bit once a season where the characters would just sit on the couch and watch like multi-dimensional television and it would just be the writers just coming up with the weirdest shit possible (laughs) like um like a hot dog reality show uh or something like that like I i mean it's I like it. I do. Um, and, but I say this as like, uh, this is not an endorsement for Justin Rowland. Uh, this is not. Um, and also the reason why Justin, the show could probably, that show can go on without him is because he really rarely did write on the show. He really was just only the voice for a bunch of characters. That's that's his biggest contribution. He created it. He might have co-written one or two, like a few episodes here and there, 
but really like it the reason why rick and morty is the way it is is because of dan Harmon and writers like jeff loveness jessica gow uh not necessarily michael waldron because he only wrote the one episode where rick uh goes to an entire planet like he he inhabits an entire planet just so he can take a shit in it so (laughs) and and he's upset that someone else found the planet and he used his his like secret commode to take a shit in it (laughs) so he goes and tracks down and it turns out to be jeffrey wright (laughs) Or a character played by Jeffrey Wright. So it's stuff like that was Michael Waldron's episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, Ant Man. Um, it's fine. Don't I would wait for it to be on Disney Plus if you haven't seen it already. But given the box office, you probably already have, and you're probably just as disappointed as we are. Um. <laughs> So anyway, we've accomplished nothing. Our character our character arcs are still the same. Kyle still lives in I probably shouldn't name where everyone's at, but uh I'm still in Georgia, David's in Texas. We're, you know, <laughs> we're nothing changed about our situation. I'm in the quantum realm. <laughs> Kyle lives in the quantum realm I, now. Um in the original ending that the quantum mania was supposed um, to end with <laughs> yeah and yeah life is still whatever anyway so hey but that guardians 2 trailer is gonna look really good it's gonna be a motion uh, guardians 2 guardians 3 jesus yeah. it's gonna be great guys um all right anything else on ant-man before we go Okay, David, where can the good people find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at wise underscore David um, and uh, my blog, Film Assessment. Um, I'll be having my t- best of 2022 out relatively shortly. Um, I don't know, I have an exact targeted date, but it should be come out there soon. So that's something you can look forward to reading if you want to get some more, I guess, polished in-depth thoughts on those movies besides the podcast I did with Kate. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Kyle, where can the good people find you? Do you have anything to plug? Um, well, you can find me on YouTube um, under Kyle Arking. I am also on another YouTube channel called Real Talks. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll plug it again. I plugged it last time, but I did a great interview with the editor of the Last of Us, and a number of other shows. His name's Timothy Good, and that is on YouTube now on the Real Talks YouTube channel, so you can check that out. Yes. Um, all the links in the descriptions uh, below. Um, and I am at Movie Kale uh, on Twitter, and uh, this is where you can find all the information on the podcast, when it's coming out, um, what's the next episode, that kind of stuff. David, Kyle, thank you guys so much for doing this. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait till we're back in here again um, for, I guess, for either Guardians or whatever the next movie we are going to do. But yes. Um, but until then, we will do an episode coming up on Cocaine Bear and Creed Three in the next couple weeks, and that should be it. Am I forgetting anything? Oh. I made this announcement on the Magic Mike podcast, but uh, Marley from the Magic Mike podcast I did um, 
and I are going to be doing the road to Fast X. So we are going to be mm. doing a 10-part miniseries where uh, we, where Marley and I are going to review all 10 um, Fast and Furious movies, except for Hobbs and Shaw, leading up to uh, Fast X. So, and that podcast will start on March 7th, and we will do it from every, that's, yeah, every Tuesday leading up until when we do the Fast X podcast uh, in mid-May. So that's going to be, so please check in on that. Uh, More updates on that when we get closer. Um, But thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back with you guys very, very soon for Cocaine. this easy for you you will bring me what i need or everything you call a life will end you may not want her to watch this we had a deal you could win I don't have to win we both just have to lose I'm sorry Cassie